Welcome to Aussie Ambitions Podcast, where we meet with everyday Aussies that are pushing ahead with their goals and ambitions in life. Join your host, Scott Robert Springer, to explore the future of entrepreneurship, work-life balance, and reaching beyond your comfort zone. So stay tuned for some tips on living life the Aussie way. All right, welcome to the Aussie Ambitions Podcast. Very excited about our guest that's joined us today. It's Corey Fraser. How are you, Corey? I'm doing very well, man. How's yourself? Excellent. Very good. Very good. So we've got a topic today, and uh, there's going to be lots of areas we can go with this. But if I'll say this correctly, cybersecurity and bionics. Mm-hmm. All right. Excellent. So just to paint the picture for everybody, so you've got background in marketing. You are studying cybersecurity. Correct. Um, and then you've just got a general interest and passion about bionics and perhaps how those how those fit together. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wonderful. I'm going to just introduce you as that and turn it over to you. So, Corey, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Perfect. Okay. Um, Melbourne-born, Gold Coast bred, um, background in marketing, started studying 2015, uh, 2017, graduated in PR and marketing, joined a small ad agency following that, and I've been doing that for the last three years. And then now ambitions are increasingly outside of that area. And looking at cybersecurity as a massively growing field. And then, as you mentioned, the cybernetics side of things is um, a real passion of mine as well. So that's kind of where my energy is increasingly going to these days. Okay, excellent. So this is good stuff because eventually looking and being proactive about you know career paths and where people are going in life and pursuing opportunities. Uh, then there's the whole thing about what's happening in the world and uh, you know what are the robots doing and you know, who's in, who's in charge, who's in control, lots of very interesting questions, right? So if I can just put that to you, you would have had a spark that this is something you wanted to pursue. Um, can we maybe just start there? Y- given your background, was there some thing that said, this is an area that I want, mm. I'm gravitating to and I want to take it a step further? Sure. I guess it started in university. I did a project um, looking at uh, data breaches and and massive ransomware attacks um, that large organizations were suffering tens of billions hundreds of billions of dollars in damages from these uh, from these hacks they're being breached from the outside information is being stolen um, customer credit card information addresses rather sensitive information and this is being stolen potentially given away to people who will use it for nefarious purposes insurance wise, there can be massive suits involved. Basically, across the whole spectrum, there is a lot of cost involved. Uh, I'll, I'll put it to you this way: cyber crime as a as an industry, as a as a as a type of crime, you're talking ransomware attacks. Um, you know, like I said, these large scale data breaches. It's been projected recently that by 2025, this type of crime will be generating in U.S. dollars ten and a half trillion every single year, right? So this is, like I said, the large scale breaches right down to the, you know, the malware link in the email or the the romance scam, um, the amount of money that is being generated. I mean, you can look at drug cartels, the, the, the entire illegal drug trade is not making this amount of money per year, right? If you look at it in respect of if you looked at cybercrime as a country, right, there would only be, by 2025, there would only be two countries in the world that would be valued higher, which would be the US and China. Ten and a half trillion US dollars a year 
That is a massive amount of money, mm. right? And outside of the industry, people aren't talking about that, right? These threats are clearly people are aware of the threats within the industry, but outside of it, we just don't know that there's that level of how lucrative this industry is for bad actors mm. in the industry. Okay. I, what we'll go is we'll take this step by step and just get get the layers taken care of. So there'll be uh, people listening in and watching that um, have heard about buzzwords, um, hacks, attacks, mm-hmm. uh, companies that have experienced a threat. Uh, you probably get an email f- from them saying, hey, your password's been compromised. For sure. Do these steps and you're thinking that's uh, not good, uh, but they don't really take it further. So mm-hmm. there's probably an awareness of you know, the threat, um, but is obviously painting a picture of what's happening here in Australia. Is there, uh, is there a particular thing that we're exposed to uh, in, in the grand scheme of things? And maybe we can just look at, so let's stick to the topic of cybersecurity for now. Mm-hmm. And, and to define that, you've, you've already said that it's, um, you know, it can be some phishing scams and lots of different email-based things. Um, is that a, a biggest percentage of it? Or mm-hmm. is it more about maybe Id- identity theft sure. and, and, and areas like that? So- Organization-wise, those simple malware attacks, uh, it's a a simple malicious link in an email that potentially a low-level, entry-level employee in an organization have clicked that link, right? And what they've done then is granted backdoor access to whoever sent this malicious link to the organization, potentially to, to the entirety of their database. This is can be catastrophic. I like that we can actually paint the picture of just how easy it is because uh, we both have marketing backgrounds in digital marketing and you've probably created a few landing pages in your day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a simple website or web page. These days, the, the the sophistication, I mean, you could pretty much recreate anything. And so the, it's very difficult to tell. So it's so there's sort of a, a social engineering component to it. Sure. Um, and so perhaps, again, there's different ways we could go with this, but which which is the the area that you're pursuing? What are you jumping into deep, deep right now and saying, like, I want to learn a lot about this? Sure. Well, I guess I was looking to take the marketing and comms background into cyber, increase awareness, increase education. Because as I said, there's an awareness within the industry, but there are still so many people within these organizations that just don't understand the risks and the threats involved. So the project has been working out where I fit into this industry and perhaps what's what's the niche that I can that I can cover. And I think that that is, you have an industry full of incredibly talented, very gifted, technical people, right? But occasionally they can struggle to communicate what it is they do to the people who they're helping, right? They may not be adequately conveying the true value in in their service, right? By building up the defenses in these organizations to prevent these kinds of attacks the the losses that you are potentially saving are massive in the hundreds of millions potentially right but and, and they know the value that this holds but i think at times they can struggle to communicate this and to convey it adequately to their clients to their partners and to the public at large so i'm coming in and thinking this is easily one of the biggest threats we face not only on an organizational level in in, in the private sector um but in the public sector, on a, on, a, on a government level, on a national security level, um, 
it was just recently announced by the US that there was a, a massive scale breach that affected their uh, defense departments, uh, Department of Justice, the White House. Uh, it, this was a, a breach of epic proportions and it's been discovered the finger has been pointed at Russia that a backdoor has existed for months. Bad actors in Russia have been have had potentially full access to some seriously sensitive information within the US government, right? But we're still not talking about this at a scale that I think is anywhere near adequate. Uh, I see the threats and, and, and uh, I see the threats that we're facing, but we're not talking about them. Aha. Uh -huh. So it's potentially like a pull back the curtain type scenario where you, uh, you know, you know, and is there a uh, a trade-off of disclosing what you know and you know trying to fix it on the back end so mm. that uh, you know how there's can be panic in the general public for sure population, which is when the the PR department comes in and decides just how much we're we going to uh, to tell the public here because it's the situation is undoubtedly bad. Just how much of that bad situation are we willing to? Uh, disclose. Okay, excellent. So maybe we can just put these into into little boxes where we can decide which way we go with the conversation sure. for today at least. I'm happy to have you back anytime. But um so let's just say that you're you're, you're there's a risk or there's a threat at the individual sorry, the individual level. Definitely. Um you know, your own privacy, your own credit card information, e-commerce scams and so on. Then there's the company level and uh, you're in the organization and you could have your servers you know, um, hit hard with traffic and it shuts mm. you down based on mm. load and that's just bad for business anyway. Mm. Uh, you know, you started shutting down your company servers in terms of productivity and potentially uh, loss of information and yes. disclosure. And then there's the government level, which is, you know, because there's corporate and different levels of size, but then the government's that next level. And you're saying there's government breaches even. Absolutely. All the time in our own country. What's the biggest worry for you out of those three? easily the top level, the government level. I mean, this is clearly a matter of national security. Um, but as I said, from where I'm standing, it's just not being talked about enough. And I think part of it is that we can't see it. It's not tangible. We understand terrorism as a threat because we can we can see it. We see it in the news. Um, we see the effects of it. And it's it's terrifying. But just how terrifying it is that is easily enough conveyed because we can see it, right? This is not not tangible. Like we're we're talking about a form of warfare potentially that is not being fought, you know, with guns and tanks, but in cyberspace. And this, I think, is how people struggle to get their heads around the threat involved, is because the damage is not the damage doesn't reveal itself until it's too late. Okay. All right. Well, we definitely identified that this is an area that's uh, to, to look out for and just, just to follow and understand what role do you play as an individual, you know, everyday person going to work? Um, is there a way that they can contribute to prevention? I mean, like mm. the two of us here aren't going to change the world, but I think it's about uh, bringing the topic up and yep. uh, keeping track of it, understanding what's right from wrong. And uh, if there's any players um, that are doing the wrong thing, like it is interesting. You get the political side where mm -hmm. the elections are hacked and manipulated. Everyone, I think, has heard a lot about that. So For sure. what we probably want to do today is capture your uh, where you're going with this and, mm -hmm. and how we can follow steps that other people can take yep. to also go down this path. So is there a portion where there's traditional education that you're doing, such as a, a university or a course, 
or and how much how much of it is almost like self deep dive through YouTube content and you know just even other networks. So like, how do you mm. get the good sure. information, the good stuff? Well, I guess we're getting into conversation now of the the utility of a typical university degree. How much value are you getting from that versus how much value can you potentially get just from a self taught course online that's a couple hundred bucks versus tens of thousands in university debt? Uh, it's a good question. I think there's a balance. Hey, I think both have utility, but increasingly, certainly a lot of what I have learned is just looking at case studies, looking at real world examples of of companies that have been breached, many of whom are no longer in business because the financial cost involved of of rectifying a situation like this are so great, especially for small businesses. Right. So we talked about ransomware attacks where there will be uh, a hack, there will be a breach. They will they will basically hold the information to ransom, right? So that potentially an entire database worth of customer information. They say clearly this information is very important to you. We will give it back to you for a fee. They've got two options there: either they pay the fee, potentially bankrupt the business because these fees can be these the, the ransom can be extraordinarily high, or you don't pay it. And that information that they've stolen is cl clearly critical to your business and, and its survival. You're not getting that information back, right? So either way, potentially, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You bankrupt yourself by trying to pay the ransom and get the information, get this critical customer information back, or they keep it. You don't pay the ransom and your, your business is stuffed anyway, mm -hmm. right? So there's there are clear costs involved here, which is... It's, why it interests me and, and why I think we need to be doing more. I think, yeah, as far as self-education is is concerned, there's a heck of a lot you can find online about just basic ways that at the employee level and then outside a company at the individual level, you know, um, simple things as changing your password every few months, uh, having it be, a, a, you know, a random uh, combination of letters and numbers rather than your pet's name, zero one, right? It, you, there are simple ways that we can be more secure online, and a lot of that is going to come from self-education, most definitely. But then there's a matter of credentializing it, which is where you're going to start to be taken seriously in the corporate world. So that's where that has utility as well. Um, so I went the path of doing a uh, graduate certificate. So background in marketing communications, I realized I wanted to leverage that into the cyber world. So I began studying a grad cert in uh, data and cyber management. So that was my path. So I suppose it's twofold. It's the postgrad study, but then I'm, I'm constantly, every night, learning about this industry, learning about what's happening in it, what's happening in the present, but also looking to the future. Very cool. So in terms of that next level of um, applying this knowledge and passion that, that an interest that you've got, is it a, is it a career role where it's like, okay, we'd like to hire you as the security advisor for our corporate company. Uh, we've had some issues or we're worried about this. Um, can you please advise us? Is, mm -hmm. it, is it a consulting type thing or is it, or uh, what I meant to say is, is it something you would become an independent person applying yourself to many companies mm -hmm. or do you sign on with a company full time and, and you sure. have to literally fix every little leaky hole yep, yep. in the place? Yeah. Either of those paths are, are, are definitely a potential. I guess to be honest, I haven't fully figured out where I fit in yet or what path I'm I'm looking to commit to, but both of those are, are definitely. Um, I mean, there's there's plenty of opportunities in this in this field. Interestingly, there's there there is a near zero unemployment rate 
So there's another interesting stat for listeners potentially if they're looking to get into this industry. There are fewer safer industries to be in than this one. I mean, a, a damn near 0% unemployment rate. Companies are crying out for professionals in this space who are adequately qualified because they understand the threats involved. And they know that if we have a, a, a large enough team of seriously talented, effective, intelligent people who have a, a strong background in this space, that can literally save a company. Mm. Very good advice. And I'm thinking, again, there's going to be different countries that are uh, have educational paths and perhaps even employment paths where there's already job descriptions posted and you can apply and it's that balance of, but yeah, love love that there's a supply demand uh, opportunity, right? Yep, yep. Still can... not enough supply, but demand is increasing year on year exponentially. Mm. Mm. I wonder how much of the, the role is, is it a stressful do you feel, would you, like we like to get this balance question out there, but in taking that on, fairly big implications of getting it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, have you thought Absolutely. about have you thought about that? That is a very good point. Uh, it's not an industry known for its work life balance. It's not an industry known for its good uh, work life balance. Of course, you trade that up with generally very high salaries. There is certainly money in this industry, um, but in response to your question, is it stressful? Yes, because the the individuals in this space know the threats involved, but I guess it's also deeply rewarding um, because you are in a very specialized field and you're generally pretty well respected within the company because they know the value that, that you offer. Mm. Um, good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we could get that question out there. I think a lot of it is understanding yourself as a person because mm -hmm. there could be um, there's an element of again we try to keep to the path of of ambition, but in a sense of um, maybe longer term and and life goals and where you, where are you going to end up living? Are you happy where you are at? And um, lots of things that come into the mix. But yeah, so for you, I, I love that there's a, um, a clear picture of what you could do. And then it's sort of just a time factor. Like mm -hmm. what does that time factor look like? Yeah, very good question. I'm, I'm looking to move pretty quickly. So probably by the end of this year, I am, I'll be set to have finished my degree. And from there, I either perhaps commit to the private sector and look to go in a tech startup, for example. I, I'm attracted to startups because there's real drive and ambition and energy in, in that area. And generally, there's a it in, it's inclined more toward youth, right? There's that real youthful ambition in startups, which I really, really like, which attracts me to working in a co-working space, for example, because it's, it's that same energy. It's that same vibe. Um, or secondly, do I look to go in the, in, in, in the government? space because there's a lot happening there as well. So um, I don't fully know yet. That's something to figure out throughout the course of this year. But by the end of this year, I'll um, I'll have an answer for you. Nice one. All right. Well, we'll definitely make sure people can follow the links and, and or, or at least just be aware of the conversations that we can continue on from here. Again, invite any of the listeners to jump on to any of the platforms, really just to um, just give us a little bit more fuel, things that we can dig deeper on, because again, lots of different things in this area about um, either it's a career path opportunity or it's mm -hmm. just life in general and some of the things that can come at you. Just trying to avoid those little surprises, you know, before it hits the headline in the news. And the media is another thing, by the way. Obviously, they'll tell you or they'll sensationalize a lot of things that maybe sure. you're like, that's not a big deal. But um, okay, so before we get uh, deeper on that one, can I just touch base? We mentioned the word bionics. Mm -hmm. So for those that have been hanging out for bionics, let's just bring that back. In yes. the what's your definition of bionics? Yeah, this one's 
fascinating. I, I'm, yeah, really, really interested in this field. Um, so I look at it in, in the respect of prosthetics, if you will. So um, the term being used these days is uh, someone who is limb different, right? So quite likely an amputee. They'll have a limb difference or, or some sort of physical disability that is preventing them from having full mobility, right? My dream, my ultimate goal in this space, okay, the, the bionic space, is to be able to be involved in a team, a group of people that develops a bionic limb that is as good as a, as a, 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 a normal limb that you and I have, a normal arm that you and I have today, right? This industry has come a long way back from just simple polymer, uh, plastic arms that look silly, that have tried to, you know, achieve realism, like a realistic look, but end up just being, you know, having the uncanny valley problem and just looking quite odd. I would love to be able to make an impact in this space by helping to develop that product and bring that product to market affordably and making it accessible for people who need them. So instead of having, you know, a, you know, a, a, a prosthetic limb that isn't, isn't achieving much. It's it's quite rudimentary. Um, you have very little actual interaction with it. Taking that to the concept where we could potentially have a bionic limb that is working as well as a regular limb, I think is 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 fascinating to me. That's that's the space that I want to be involved in developing a product like that, bringing that to market, and making it affordable for people who actually need it. Very cool. So I've got two. Uh, circles drawn on my piece of paper here. Uh, one is uh, cybersecurity, mm -hmm. and one is bionics, and they're separate circles. Yes, in in the way I've drawn it, mm -hmm. is there a overlap? It's a good question. Not so much in the way that I I, I see it. There there are perhaps two individual goals. Perhaps you could see the cybersecurity side of things being my nine to five, if you will. That's that's where my ambitions lie in my kind of full time day to day life. The, the bionics is is really, really a, a passion project. That's something I, I would happily devote and have the majority of my spare time to, is learning about this industry because it's come a heck of a long way, um, but there, there's a lot more to be done. I see massive potential in this space. There's a company in the UK called Open Bionics who have developed a, a product called the Hero Arm. And this is probably as close as we've come as far as a mass market product in this space. So the hero arm is not designed to look like a normal limb. It actually looks noticeably like a robotic bionic limb. And um, they've got a bit of a, a, a poster child, if you will, quite literally. She's a young girl called Tilly. And she was one of the first adopters of this product. And she has a story about how she has, she in the past, she has had these prosthetic limbs that have been very rudimentary, just very silly looking and, 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 and hadn't, um, you know, had held her back. And now she has this really cool looking robotic limb that she has some form of, of control over. She can open and close her hand. She can rotate her wrist, etc. So it has some functionality. Um, and she absolutely loves it. Um, and I just think there's massive potential in this space to be able to take an idea like that, a concept like that, and just what does that look like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now? By then, I hope and expect to be in a space in this industry where we have a fully functioning bionic limb that is, is no different to a normal limb that can do everything a normal hand 
normal fingers, a normal arm can do. That would be a tremendous achievement for me to be involved in, I think, in this space. I like that. I like that you are very clear on the areas that interest you. And I think there's something to be said for everyone out there that if you can just plant that flag in an area, then things will come to you. You'll notice more things. You'll pay attention to things that you might have missed otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I think there's something to be said for that. Even if they're not overlapping immediately, you might actually find something that for ties sure. the two together. Quite possibly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in terms of, uh, for those that aren't familiar, the, the internet of things, uh, yes. IoT, and uh, again, that may be a technical term, but it's basically the, the world of internet controls devices. The idea that everything we see and, and use eventually is going to be connected to the internet. Look at the devices in your home right now. How many of them potentially are? Not just TVs and, and Blu-ray players and, and, and computers and laptops, but we have fridges now that have television screens on them, for goodness sake, right? And again, play that out in the next 10, 20, 50 years. What does that look like? What is a, what is a home environment? What does a house look like? How much of that is connected to the internet? And then you go back to the previous example. That's excellent and it's very, very convenient, but what are the risks involved? What are the privacy concerns? Very good. I mean, that's those are the things that people can look out for and, again, they can jump onto if they have questions. And I think these days, yes, of course, there's information everywhere um, and you can follow subject matter experts. So some of this is just the start of that, I think. Just based on the Australian perspective, like, so do you born and raised in Australia um, sounds like you've traveled a little bit overseas, mm -hmm. but then, so within Australia though, is this going to be your home for the foreseeable future? Like, do you have amb ambitions of maybe knocking on Silicon Valley's door and just trying to be in the heart of maybe where some of the action is, if, if the action isn't actually here? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, potentially. I mean, you could argue that Sydney and Melbourne, perhaps more so Sydney, are building their own versions of Silicon Valley. Um, so yeah, I guess you, you, you have an opportunity to, to go somewhere like, um, Hong Kong or Tel Aviv or, or indeed Silicon Valley where there are, you know, these massive communities of, of startups and, and young people, or do you stay and help to contribute to the thriving of that industry and those sorts of, um, those startups and, and those Silicon Valley-esque areas in your own country, perhaps it would be more rewarding to stay here for the foreseeable future and try and really help young Australians in Australia be able to stay here and have these homegrown startups themselves rather than what is so often the case, going over to the States, taking their idea there, taking their idea to market there, paying tax in the US. The US is ultimately benefiting out of and what is quintessentially an Australian idea. What if, and then again, this perhaps goes to a government level. What can our government at a state and federal level be doing to more incentivize these young people to actually stay here? What kind of support can they be giving them? Arguably, they've they've certainly made efforts through grants and things like this, but um, there's no doubt that we don't have a thriving version of of. Silicon Valley here in our backyard. Mm. So I would love to be able to stay here and perhaps help to build something like that here. Very cool. I think that's that's a nice uh, perspective on it because, yeah, there's two sides to it. One is it's a greenfield space where, again, you can perhaps have more influence or bring more people in on it rather than trying to fit into some other mold that you're you're learning, but 
the direct application might take take longer or sure. there's other people in line for that job and, uh-huh. and so on but um interesting stuff uh so we've got cyber we've got cybersecurity we've got bionics and then perhaps an overlap i'm curious can you just mention again like roughly how old are you or what what life stage 23 okay so early 20s um how many hours do you think are being devoted to these areas um my entire social life uh my entire free time <laughs> so i've got the full time job which is still in marketing and advertising so that's the you know that's the 40 hour week that's the 9 to 5 but uh nights and weekends are dedicated pretty much exclusively to this such as my determination to be able to make an impact in these two industries. And just to paint the picture for everyone listening in, is that unusual for, I guess, the Australian fabric of society or your peers? Um, do you feel like that's an exception? So you're doing it to achieve something? Or is that within your peer group and friends and so on? Is everyone kind of hustling at a side? You know, they're starting a, you know, a T-shirt store sure. on the side and, sure. and you know, e-commerce. What's the balance of what people are doing these days? Your perception of this thing can largely, your perception of this idea can largely be impacted by who you surround yourself with, right? So I guess in in the spaces that I'm in, perhaps it's not so unusual, right? Being in co-working spaces and and talking to young, um, you know, business owners who are, who are are far more progressed in their ambitions than I am, that's incredibly encouraging, but it, it also reinforces that, no, this is not unusual if you're passionate about something like this then it, it it shouldn't be unusual to obsess over it and to be and to be passionate about it and to devote your so much of your free time to it conversely there needs to be balance and that's probably something that I'm trying to strike myself is there does need to be a social life and and work life balance is probably more important than many give it credit for Okay. Well, that's, I think, of course, there's a limited number of hours in the day. And then there's sort of a balance of like, how are you feeling? And are you more productive or more uh, imaginative mm-hmm. when you're coming off of a couple of days of, you know, you were just in the in the ocean having a bit of a play, a surf and, sure. or uh, horseback riding or <laughs> lots of different things people are into. Yeah. But what, um, what would be a day off for you? A day off? Well... I'll give you an example. Recently, I traveled to Byron Bay. This is something I do probably once a year. It's been Melbourne. It's been Sydney in the past, but Byron was most recently. I took a couple of weeks of leave and went to Byron and basically, I mean, I brought my laptop, but I worked out of a a hostel there in Byron, right along the beach, right? And you work during the day and you just go out at night. You can meet people, you can mingle, you can socialize. Good thing about hostels is that it's it's like a little incubator of, of it's it's a total melting pot. You have people from from all over the world who have come to this hostel, and and speaking with them and talking to them is immensely enjoyable. Uh, I had uh, yeah an experience in Melbourne a couple of years back where I stayed in a hostel there, uh, United Backpackers, I think it was called. I barely met an Australian the entire time, and that for me is really really exciting to to be in this hostel, to be in this environment where you've got you've. In a day, you have spoken to people from 20 different countries. That is super cool as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the, that's the ideal holiday, I guess. That's the ideal day off. If I was to take you know a few days or, or a week or two off, 
I'll take their laptop and I'll still work. But to be able to be in that kind of environment, which is so different from an office environment, it's it's a it's a lot of fun. So I I, I do recommend that the kind of the nomad lifestyle, which has definitely been popularized in recent times. This acknowledgement that you don't need to sit in an office at a regimented nine to five to be able to be productive. More likely, you're not going to be productive in that kind of structured environment. Take your laptop and go to a cafe or travel interstate, travel overseas, and just spend a few weeks there. And, and there's a good chance that your best ideas are going to come from that type of situation, right? Because a change like that is super stimulating. Um, so yeah, th thoroughly recommend. That's, that's my idea, my ideal time off. Excellent. And this is just me throwing it out there for people that are listening. Um, you can help us with this kind of uh, bring the conversation a bit tighter and, and fact check some of these things. But I, I'd be very interested in any research that's been done around productivity versus uh, balance. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I just have a hunch and then you go off what works for you. And uh, I've had times where it's absolutely almost like two years straight of nonstop hustling. And you look back and you're like, wow, that was intense. Mm -hmm. And was it worth it? And then you can justify it. But then. I'm surely there must be studies. I mean, there's studies on everything. So if people know of anything out there, or maybe we can uh, have some of our uh, helpers look that up as well. But I think it's important to know uh, maybe a, a trend and, and maybe we can get experts uh, chiming in. But in the end of the day, you, you find your own balance. and For sure. Um, whatever works for you. Whatever works for you. Th there's a thing uh, that I was curious about, which was you've got some things ahead of you, some steps. If there was a way to fast track it, uh, the question I guess I have is, would you do it? Or would you? are you interested in an accelerated path such that you can get into the good stuff as soon as possible? Is that is that yeah. part of it? Probably. I mean, it, yeah, I would say so. And I think a large part of that would be surrounding yourself with people who know more than you do. Um, as long as you're in a room of people who are vastly smarter and have achieved far more than you have, then that's the kind of room you want to be in. And I think that helps in accelerating your progress. You are who you choose to surround yourself with. Be around that environment. Be around those circles. And sooner or later, their knowledge rubs off on you. You're making those connections. I, I mean, just about every job I've had in life has not come through a, a typical application interview process. It comes from a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy or someone you met in one of these uh, events co-working spaces, et cetera. So I guess that would be my thinking and my advice in that regard. If you're looking to accelerate that process, surround yourself with those people in that space who who can help you, who can, can give you the wisdom and the knowledge and the, the know-how to succeed and to, yeah, perhaps quicken that process. So maybe people who have made mistakes that you can perhaps avoid making, learn from others' mistakes in addition to your own. Very good. So if there was a limiting factor for you to get from here to the next step, step is it um, is it number of hours in the week, literally? Because you've got to you know work out the balance with day job to mm -hmm. independent from that. Um, or is it network? What's, what are the, what's the main thing that would hold you back from fast-tracking this? Yeah, good question. Um, probably my own focus. Um, I think there are enough hours in the day Perhaps it's a matter of utilizing them more effectively. I probably still have a penchant. Uh, YouTube we spoke about before, but that's just a 
stupidly distracting uh, tool. It's incredibly beneficial from, from an educational perspective. You can learn an immense amount, but you can also get distracted and find yourself in two-hour, you know, there's that recommended list and it's just, it's too tempting because you stay on there and you just get distracted. Um, so to be honest with you, if I was to kind of look for a criticism for myself, it would be, yeah, ability to stay focused. That's probably what might be holding me back. Um, there are too many distractions out there and perhaps at times I'm not good enough at limiting those distractions and staying focused. So I, I, I don't like this idea that there aren't enough hours in the day or days in the week. Mm. Um, you, another one is you'll, you'll hear this excuse a lot that I'm just, I'm just too busy. You're, you're not too busy. You're, you're likely just not utilizing your time effectively, in my opinion. Nice cover there at the end. Yeah, look, I think that's, that is good to put out there. And I think it's, it's fun to um, share commonalities. And again, people can say, oh, this guy's, you know, there's, there's things you can plug into, YouTube and so on. Um, but it, it, and it's a bit fun for us to get to know you as a person. So you're on YouTube a bit. Um, any, any names or any channels that you follow that you're impressed with or that are worth your time? Mm, good question. I guess YouTube's good for this because there's a lot of bite-sized content, you know, 10 to 15 minute videos. But then you've got the other extremes where, I mean, I have uninterrupted sat through three, four hour podcasts. And that's what I find just incredible about YouTube as a platform is that I will watch a five minute video and feel like it was too long. Then I'll watch a four hour conversation um, of two people who I'm, I'm interested in. Um, they may be discussing philosophy, politics, law, whatever it may be, for genuinely a three or four hour conversation. And I think that that was, that was too short. I could have listened to that all day. So that's a good thing about a platform like YouTube is it has a good mix of just kind of silly content that's a bit mindless and take your mind off things and just relax. But then, um, you know, I, I listen to a lot of politics related stuff. And, um, and there are some really, really good conversations being had there. And I think YouTube as a as a medium has really helped progress that area. Who would have thought that there would be an audience of people that would be willing to sit through a four hour podcast? But there are, you can find these videos, millions upon millions of views of, of people that are genuinely interested in, in who Joe Rogan's guest might be that week. And, and you know, they don't need to keep it to an hour or two. They're clearly enjoying it themselves. The audience is clearly enjoying it. These are fascinating ideas being discussed. And people will sit through a four-hour podcast. So I, I think that's what's great about a platform like that. And that's that's probably what I try to spend more of my time on there doing is, is learning from those sorts of conversations. Mm. It's fun to mention these kind of tools because people would be aware of them for many years. They're almost like a... You know, it's been many, many years they've been around and they've evolved and they've tightened their policies and, you know, a little mm -hmm. bit tighter than it's ever been. But um, there's things you can do. And sometimes it's fun for us to share on this channel a bit of like the life hacks and, you know, oh, yeah, I didn't realize I could do that. So if you're not aware, those, that algorithm is very powerful and it. Um, oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, and you just think, well, what can I do? It'll feed me things and yeah. I don't really know how it works. But if you just flip that and say, no, no, you if you are aware of what an algorithm is and that there's some programming, and some smarts, but it, it's not infinite. There will be some things, if you watch a video for a period of time, 
guess what? That sends a signal back and, and then you're probably going to get fed something else. And you can notice these things. And of course, digital marketing, uh, the ad world, mm -hmm. that's where they make their money, right? They're feeding, Most definitely. feeding you things. So uh, maybe that's a little, just to throw that out there, people can try, do a little test, try to game the algorithm, see if you can outsmart the robots for now. Yeah, or uh, open a tab in YouTube and then open an incognito tab and look at the difference. Uh, it's crazy how how they've got that algorithm down to a, to a T. I mean, it's a good chance that entire first page of results is probably going to be pretty close to what you're interested in watching. Mm. And just on the privacy side of things, um, yes, do that. And then clear your, clear your cache, your mm -hmm. cache, um, and uh, see if there's any difference. Because then we'll learn just what they're tracking. Very true. You know, I'm pretty sure they know where you are, what your IP address is, and uh, anyways. Privacy is the other fun topic we can maybe weave in at some point. But um, I, I like some of these things you brought to the table. I think they're useful. And I, I think in terms of just uh, the evolution of things, I suppose. Um, is there any other platforms that you find yourself distracted in? You know, the Instagram world, the the TikTok. Are you, are you big on TikTok? And so thankfully, thankfully, I've kept away from those sorts of platforms that uh, they probably don't suit me too well uh so i'm not on instagram i'm not i'm not a tiktoker myself um yeah I'm, I'm happy with youtube for now and linkedin um i spent a fair amount of time on linkedin because again that's a professional tool you're connecting you're 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 building your network um i think if i was to join something like instagram it would just be another one of those distractions that i'm probably better off without mm. actually there's one i wanted to build on top of that which is um Cybersecurity is sort of beyond borders, and there's lots of levels there. Um, would Twitter be a tool that you would use as a conversation tracker, mm. or not so much? Twitter is an interesting one, and I certainly haven't had a lot of experience with it because it has made almost no traction in the Australian market. So it's massive in the North American market, but I don't know anyone here in this country who I've ever spoken to who uses Twitter. Uh, so that's a whole nother kettle of fish, right? I don't, I don't know a lot about it as, as a platform. Yeah, it's you, just when you think something's dying out and it's going to be superseded, um, it uh, it becomes the most central platform mm -hmm. and the most controversial thing out there. So it's oh uh, yeah, you know, and these are publicly traded companies and there's shareholders and it's uh, it's fascinating. So as a peek into the Australian landscape, I mean, is there a startup culture here? Maybe not at a national level. But I think, as I said, with those examples, like those small communities that are growing in, in Melbourne and Sydney and some of the capitals like that, yes, definitely. On a, on a macro level, and perhaps this speaks to the, the kind of American ethos of, of, you know, the land of opportunity. But I think generally there's a perception around the US that there's more going on there. And, you know, they are, they have the advantage of being a a vast population of people. But um, yeah, I, I think at this point, we not that we would want to necessarily emulate their culture, their startup culture, but I think we have a ways to go in developing one here, perhaps at that macro level that is thriving to the extent that it is over there. And I think the startup culture is made up of individuals, sure. obviously, and then those those become more pre prevalent as people succeed. Uh, and I do, there's a couple Australian success, a lot of Australian success stories, some of in tech, some in biomedical, definitely, some in education, some in just life. Canva. Uh, 
Have you ever used Canva? Yeah, of course, of course. I love the Canva story. Brilliant tool. Really, ba really good. Based out of Perth. So yeah, marketing in the marketing world. Um, and there's a, there's another, um, there's a Canva, uh, similar, similar functionality. Um, it's called Designer. It's based here on the Gold Coast. Can you imagine? Um, and, uh, and and emerging and, and rising, you know, the app and so on. So these are great uh, equalizers of doesn't matter where you live. Um, it's it is, I have to say it's nice to live here mm -hmm. at the moment uh, with the certain dynamics of everything. Um, and of course, I think perhaps there is an opportunity for us to use what we've got. That whether it's ability to attract talent, I think a lot of people do come from overseas here wanting to work. Mm -hmm. There's work visas, and yep, yep. There's, the government's made it clear that there's a policy of protecting the labor market and sure. who can work here. But um, yeah, in the end, I like that there can be like minds that can just connect, whether it's going to the hostel or sure, um, down at the beach, down at the pub. And uh, well, what's your perception of it? I guess as someone who has traveled here from out of the country and who now lives here. How would you compare the culture here to North America? North America, sure. Yeah, it's, um, there's, I feel like the privilege aspect. So it would have been uh, a conscious decision of like the desire. So I always wanted to capture on the global opportunities. You build your skill base and you're like, how far can I take this skill set? And, you know, then it's just about trying things. And uh, yeah, but Australia is uniquely connected to Asia. Um, but getting into the country is, there's a clear barrier, which is you need a, a visa and work visa and some people do it in a more roundabout way i i had to wait a whole year to get fully yep. permanent resident application yes. status and they look at who you are and your yep. criminal record if you have one and uh, costly too huh like just as a matter of funds you involved. have to it's, right but it's it's like an app it's not a lottery by any means but you have sure. to be on the uh the checklist mm. to meet and that changes so the checklist that i passed 12 years ago yep. is different now sure so there's this sort of skills management. So I like that, that the government's kind of aware and they're trying to fill gaps but not take away from the locals, which, you know, and, and here I am trying to give back. And so I think it pays off in the end. Everyone means well. But ultimately, I think that, uh, yeah, just, just being in Australia, the perspective on things, I, I look around and I can say, okay, like this is a great mix of society. Mm. The people can say, oh, yeah, the weather's great and the beaches are lovely and, you know, they've got a casino and, you know, you've got the theme parks. yes. But uh, it's the, I think the feel of things. I mean, there's there's a certain balance aspect that comes back. And generally within the peer level, I feel like there's not an expectation. Or you almost looked strangely if you were to hustle so much to the point like, you know, oh, I didn't sleep last night. I was working on it. You're like, mate, you know, like that's, you're not going to do that again, are you? <laughs> and yeah, they sort of talk like you to out of it. So. They, they kind of walk you down from that. And I'm just hoping that overall, you know, perhaps it's that checks and balances. Because I don't know how you are personally, but I tend to be a bit headstrong where um, I don't take that ext external feedback. I almost need to see it everywhere a few times or when I realize, okay, I've got I've to realize that there's maybe another checks and balance. So that's just my take. But it, it is a great uh, mix and how it compares to other countries. It's all changing, right? And just generally speaking, I think we're just exceptionally lucky to live in this country. I think we have it pretty good here. Mm. Well, it's good to say, and I think people—that's a perception. And I, I, I wouldn't talk, I wouldn't say anything to the negative of that. Um, but it's, it's got its uh, challenges, uh, just like every oh, sure. country. Mm. You know, we're just heading into Australia Day, which is actually going to be the official launch of our our podcast. And even that, you know, there's there's undertones, and we don't need to go into why. But if you want to look it up, you know, it's it's 
it's an evolving thing around. There's a debate around what's the origin of the country. It's and, an important conversation to be having for sure. Yeah. And, and here I am, uh, you know, it's a question of at what point are you a, an Australian or are you local? And I think we had a guest on the podcast that when we first reached out to them, the, the perception of Aussie ambitions was more about, um, you know, is it aspiring to the lifestyle or is it aspiring to citizenship? There might be a whole lot of listeners that are just interested to move to Australia, mm -hmm. in which case, um, great, you know, keep tuning in because it's a little bit about that. You get people from overseas. Uh -huh. But right now, I think it's just pulling back the curtain, kind of like what you're trying to get into is just let's see what's going on. Definitely. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, researching things, and it just made me think that cybersecurity is one of those things. You don't know what you don't know. But then there's little pockets that people don't like to talk about, the dark web uh, and so on. Are you aware of the dark web? Are mm. you are you know how to get access to those conversations that are supposed to be secret? Or, you know, maybe there's some nefarious characters that are, you know, asking for advice. This Where I'm coming from this is a bit of that from the marketing world. Sure. You got the whole Black Hat. There used to be a site website. I don't know if it's still up. Probably still is. But um, Black Hat techniques and how can you get higher in Google. But it's yep. like all the tactics are just like totally manipulative. And they'll change the algorithm in a couple of months' time, and then they'll no longer be uh, valid anyway. So Yeah, you get banned, and so you, you, it's always cat and mouse game. But what's your comment on the dark web and its role in cybersecurity? I mean, it goes without saying that that's where the majority of the crime is occurring. It's an interesting balance, hey? As the internet has brought about tremendous convenience, so too has it brought about pretty significant dangers. As more people are connected online, there are inherent risks associated. I mean, young people, uh, primary aged kids, I think there's massive risk there. Um, just as far as the threats to them online when perhaps parents aren't looking and maybe don't know themselves what's going on, who the child's talking to, is that person really who they say they are? Yeah, there are a lot of risks involved. The, the, the dark net and the deep net are interesting concepts. Um, and again, the, the, the layman isn't necessarily going to understand them or know what's going on there. Um, but definitely that's something we should be, we should be talking more about as well. N not, not so much something I've been looking at myself, but, um, yeah, an, an interesting topic nonetheless. Mm. I guess to just to spell it out for what that actually is, you haven't heard of the dark web. Um, it's is it fair to say it's anonymous internet usage as well as some networking that takes place. Again, not easy to track, but still possible to track. And sure. I'm sure the it's authorities are where a lot of the extremism is occurring. Um, the terrorist cells operate, drugs are sold. Um, it's it is the real underbelly of the internet. So it's the power of the internet with this layer of secrecy and anonymity. The, anonymity. the problem is from a from a governance and, and law enforcement perspective as well, the people in this area of the internet are very difficult to track, meaning that the activities that they're involved in are very difficult to stop. And if you end, if you, if you, if you shut down one website that's engaging in illegal activity, two more are going to pop up in its place. So, um, this is a, a, definitely a real threat and, and one that I don't think anyone fully knows at this point how we're going to solve. Mm. 
it's one of those ones that uh, I've seen come up in the media fairly recently. Again, media, you can talk about, well, what's that? Uh, nobody's watching regular, what do they call free-to-air TV, where the signal's coming in on your TV. Mm. It's it's your Everyone's checking the YouTube updates, the little clips. Sure. But that's coming through, and there's these uh, busts. So for whatever reason, whether it's happening, there's an increase of actually busts happening and catching people, or it's just a message centrally that government wants to show that we're making efforts in this space. Do you think that we are actually catching people doing cyber crimes? No, not, not, not to a, a significant extent. They're small wins, right? And, you know, as you point out, the, the media is, has its part to play in that. And it's encouraging when a terror cell gets shut down or the communications between them are, are ended and we're making it more difficult for them to communicate and to, and to, to meet up and to plan, et cetera. That's excellent. But the reality is that that activity is still there. Um, and it's probably not going anywhere anytime soon. As I said, these things are tremendously difficult to stop and, and, to keep it that way, to prevent them from resurfacing somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Such is the nature of, of this area of the internet where it is largely, if not entirely, anonymous. Okay. One thing I wanted to bring back into the picture there is um, currencies because the, the game of cyber security mm -hmm. could be information leaks and access to information. That's mm. one of it. The other one, perhaps, hopefully there's some, I would imagine there's some financial aspects where they want to profit. Sure. And so is Bitcoin or any of the, the um, cryptocurrencies at risk for these security breaches? That's a good question. The crypto side of things isn't something I've really looked to at all. But I suppose it goes back to your Internet of Things example, is that the moment something is connected to the Internet, those risks are going to be there. Um, I read an article recently about, you know, playing out an example of what if a financial institution was hacked, right? No one holds physical money anymore. Your entire savings are just a number on your the screen of your smartphone, right? It's not tangible. You, you don't you don't hold that in your hands. How safe is that really? Your savings in that bank, in that financial institution. What if the National Australia Bank, what if Commonwealth Bank suffers a serious breach? It's not outside the realm of possibilities. Very good, very good. I, I think um Again, it's back to the exposure and at what level and, and what do we need to worry about. Hopefully, nobody's getting too anxious about this topic. I mean, people are onto it, yourself included, and uh, it's more of an area of awareness, I think, like sure. that's what you mentioned to open. Um, we, we've got lots of opportunities to dig deeper on this stuff. Maybe I can just go back to maybe the personal side of things, just keep it light uh, before we wrap up. But um, in the world of, I like that we're, we've reached, we've touched on like the futuristic aspects of what may be and what may be to come. Is there like a favorite movie that you, you know, that you relate to or you enjoy watching in that space? Could be an old one or perhaps what a new. What a good question. It's a cliche, but I, I do love Blade Runner. Um, anything in the kind of um, cyberpunk world, I find fascinating. Just this general concept of man and machine and the relationship between man and machine. These are undoubtedly problems that we are going to have to face in both of our lifetimes. It's so interesting to look back on movies like that, you know, made in the 70s, the 80s, and look at, at much of it was silly and, and didn't come to be, but a lot of it did, is quite, 
just how realistic the portrayal of some of the, those technologies are in those movies that were made 20, 30 years ago, and you compare it to today, it's it's astounding. Okay. Mm. Very good. Um, and do you think we're going to make another Terminator movie? Is that Are we done with those? That's a good question. Uh, Terminator franchise is, is not one I've been into personally. Um, so I, I, I cannot answer that question. Very good. We'll defer to the experts. Please comment. Abs absolutely. As long as uh, Arnie's involved, as long as he makes a comeback, yep. I'm happy. Yeah, he's, he's, still, he's still out there, Arnie. So good on him. Um, automotive vehicles with the internet connectivity. Would mm. you ever own a Tesla or an electronic an internet connected vehicle? I test drove a Tesla just a couple of months ago. Uh, it was the most ridiculously fun driving experience I've ever had. Um, I didn't try out the full uh, autopilot. I'm not actually sure if they've rolled that out en masse. But there is the feature whereby you just click the stick and uh, it'll center you in your lane, accelerate for you, brake for you, adjust. It uh, doesn't quite adjust lanes yet, but it'll keep you in your lane. So hands are off the wheel, feet are off the pedals, and you're just sitting there watching it. It's it's just I can't describe it. Uh, yes, I would absolutely own one one day. We've got a we've got a cyber truck on order. So are you serious? We'll have to circle back and get you back for a. An That's update. fantastic. We're going to do some of these things on the road eventually. But anyway, love the uh, the awareness on that. What about the cybersecurity aspect? If you oh, this huge wave of rollout of internet connected vehicles, mm. could that be a target for a hack or some kind of um, yeah control factor? Can someone take control of your vehicle? In theory, this is probably something that Tesla's been looking at, and and other people who are developing that autonomous driving technology. And as I said before, as the moment it's connected to to the internet at large, there is that risk involved. So yeah, I'm sure that's something they're, they're thinking about very carefully. There are a number of risks and just outside the cyber angle, um, self-driving trucks, for example, like autonomous transportation. What happens when the all the truckers who used to drive the trucks themselves are you know put out of work by this new technology that's come and basically taken their jobs. And many would say, you know, the, the threat is overplayed, you know, we're not all going to lose our jobs to robots, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is that there is a degree of threat involved when you have machines and AI and machine learning coming together to combine to create a, a, a process that is quicker, cheaper, doesn't tire compared to a, a human worker. This is really interesting. What does the world of work look like in the future? when increasingly these machines can do our jobs better than us and for far cheaper. Mm. This is going to be great because I think there's a little little moment here where we can bring in the bionics aspect just to, just before we wrap mm -hmm. up. So the interest in bionics, you mentioned about perhaps limb, let's say replacement or perhaps enhancement. Sure. Um, and I think that's a pretty well pursued area. Like I think there'd be lots of engineers mm -hmm. looking to it's specifically like my background is actually physiology and neurology so before the marketing so um certainly i looked at this would be a great space to yep. help contribute to um and i think there is a lot of great solutions that have been brought so definitely currently, but then of We've course come a long way for sure what's next um bionic eyes for example i think there's some recent news with that i've been following so literally people that are blind you're connecting things and then of course sure. elon musk's um Neuralink. Neuralink, mm. uh, where you've got 
lots of different things where it's a rewiring internally. He's a crazy fan. Are you a fan? Of course. Okay. Is it Absolutely. like an inspiration type thing where you you can re, re, you try to look about his way of thinking, or is it just impressive with his? I, I I just think the the craziness of his work ethic. I think he evidently, very clearly, does not think the way the vast majority of human beings think. He does not work the way the majority of us work. He's just built of something different. There's something going on in, in his head. Mm. Um, so yeah, of course, I've been following him closely for, for, for years. Um, yeah, the, the Neuralink side of things is, and again, there's going to be a lot of ethical and moral quandaries associated there when we're inviting technology into our heads that starts to uh people's are people's uh ears start to prick at that point you know uh there are definitely some ethical quandaries that are going to arise as that technology is brought to market and and taken to scale mm. very good i appreciate your comments um it's it's an area we're going to follow closely N not it's it's really out of personal interest to be honest and uh, yes it's impressive i love the boundary pushing i mm. think to me that's the number one thing and it's, again, we really want to be relating to people at just the, the everyday level. So, you know, yeah, Elon Musk, yeah, he's, he's pushed the limits and he's taken enormous risk. I think there's a, that, that element is so impressive, the risk versus this could all go wrong. Sure. You know, Starship and each, goes up, And each crashes. success he's had, each financial success, if you will, he's taken almost the entirety of the payout and invested it into a new venture that is arguably riskier than the last. Yeah. So... <laughs> Right. And so for me, it's the whatever it takes. That's mm. that's to me how I'd interpret what every time I look at everything he's delivered, I'm like, okay, it's, it's a whatever it takes attitude. 100%. And yeah, a bit of luck, a bit of timing, a bit of network, and there's lots of things. So for people out there, if you, you can decide for yourself if, if a whatever it takes attitude is healthy or right for you, maybe a short period of time. I think for everyone, if you could test things, mm. that's how you learn, right? So this is sort of a um, self-education and just having the desire right? and the interest. For sure. Um, very, very cool. Um, all right. Well, appreciate you coming in. Thank you so much for having um, me. I'd love to have you back anytime just to get a little feel for what we can dive deeper on and I invite anyone else to to comment. We we do have the audio version of the podcast, which is our main uh, focus, as well as the YouTube. We want to make sure, make sure that we've got something for people to connect and um, it's just a different forum. So we want to be where people are having the conversations. Mm -hmm. um, if there's people that want to get in touch with you or follow you? Is there any particular um, forum that they should do so? Sure. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm not on Instagram, but you can for sure find me on LinkedIn, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, Fraser, F-R-A-S-E-R, and you'll find me there. Excellent. Appreciate it, John, Corey. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Aussie Ambitions podcast. We appreciate your support and welcome your input. So if there is a topic that you would like to see covered, please let us know via our website, aussieambitions.com or any of our social media accounts. And please subscribe to receive all of our updates. We hope that you picked up some helpful tips helping you to get to where you want to go. And if you've got a story to tell and are able to come for a visit, definitely get in touch.